Take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 18. We'll see how the time goes, may get into, into Deuteronomy chapter 11, but Deuteronomy chapter 10. And like I mentioned, I want to use this evening's message and next uh, Sunday's mes- Sunday night's message as well to um, prepare us as we consider the budget for 2024 for Elmira Baptist Church. Now that meeting will be after evening worship next Sunday, so keep that in mind, but uh, want to look at this passage tonight and the different passage next Sunday night. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Let me read these to you. Follow along as I, as I read out loud. Deuteronomy 10, verse 11. And the Lord said unto me, this is Moses recounting to his to the Israelites. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, take thy journey before the people that they may go in and possess the land which I swear unto their fathers to give unto them. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. We're going to come back to that. For thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also, with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed above them, even you above all people, as it is this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is a God of gods, and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. That's the passage we're going to consider. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Again, it guides us, it directs us. And as as a church, as we look forward to 2024 and the great things that you have ahead of us, we think of the great things that are in our past now, ways that you've blessed us, folks Uh, in our church family that you have healed, folks in our church family that you have provided richly for, bringing us new people and knitting our hearts together in love for one another. We're so grateful for what's behind us and eagerly look forward to what's ahead of us as well. So use this message, use next Sunday night's message also to stir my heart and to stir our hearts for what you have for our church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you a story. I, I think it's a true story about Albert Einstein. Uh, it was, came to me as a true story. Um, if you find out that it's apocryphal, please let me know. But the story goes like this. Einstein, of course, he's the great physicist. I think Time Magazine named him the uh, uh, man of the century for the previous century, for the 20th century. He was traveling on a train. And this was back in the days when the conductor would come by, look at your ticket, and then, you know, pop it so that one person, one ticket, right? So Einstein was on the train, and the conductor came up to him. And, of course, he recognized who he was. But, you know, just being friendly, said, ticket, please. And Einstein started going through his pockets. I've done this before, you know, and he's looking for it. And it's not in those pockets, not in these pockets. And uh, he just, he can't find it. And the conductor says, listen, listen, I know who you are. Don't, don't worry about it. Uh, you don't need to show me your ticket. And so conductor keeps walking on. After he's popped a few more tickets, he looks back and Einstein is actually on his hands and knees looking underneath a seat for this ticket. And he walked back to him and said, just have a seat. Don't worry about it. He says, I know who you are. I know you're not jumping a train fare. You're fine. And Einstein said, yeah, I know who I am and you know who I am, 
but I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I think sometimes as Christians, we can sort of get on the train and we're just headed somewhere and we'll get there when we get there, but we don't know where we're going. And I want to help us think through where God has brought us so far and where we're headed. And then that will help us understand as we come to next week and we look at the budget together, it'll help us understand why the deacons and I have, have crafted the budget the way we have. Because I'll be, I'll be candid. I'll just tell you right up front, you pray all week. But when I first saw what the deacons have presented as a budget, I thought, we're all crazy. We are. But I, I know we're not crazy. We serve a great God and he wants us to push forward. He doesn't want us to be content with just sitting in the past. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But let's, let's just think through this. This building that we are building is going to be the biggest building we ever have on this piece of property. Now, it's possible the Lord will give us more property in the future. And if he does, praise the Lord. But this is, I don't want us just because this is going to be the biggest building we're going to have on this property. I don't want to think of this building as the goal of Elmira Baptist Church. The building is not the goal. When we get into the building, we have not arrived in the promised land. The building is a chance for us to evangelize, to see more people saved, to get the gospel out. Now, by the way, I, I'm all for inviting people to our buildings to evangelize, and I want you to continue to do that. <clears throat> but let's think about this. Are people more likely to come here to hear the gospel or are they more likely to hear the gospel where you take it to them? And the truth is, in our society, it used to be we had a church-going society, and people sort of went to church because they sort of felt like they ought to. But that isn't going to continue to happen here in the United States. We need to take the gospel to them. So the building doesn't exist so that the gospel's preached there, and then we leave, and okay, good, we did our job. No, the, the, the building is there to train you and me to, to get our... Uh, uh, our, our, our minds, our hearts prepared to, to, to get excited about serving the Lord and then take the gospel to people. I want to make that real clear. When it comes to evangelism, we're always looking to take the gospel to people. And just this week, several of you have shared with me how literally on the street, in one case, one person at his door of his house sharing the gospel with people that God brought to you. The fellow that was at his own house, he can't get out much anymore and he was sharing with me and I asked him if I could share this. He was sharing with me. So he's been praying that God would bring people to his door. And when people come to his door that he doesn't know, guess what he's trying to do? He's giving them the gospel. That's the type of evangelism that we want to do here at Elmira Baptist Church. We're taking the gospel to people. What does the Bible say? Go into all the world. Not call all the world to you. You go. Take them the gospel. But evangelism, that is our goal in the building it's just a, a means to help us to, to do a better job of evangelism. But not only are we commanded to evangelize, we're commanded to baptize. And always keep in mind, we're Baptists. I, I'm, I'm a Baptist by conviction. I've studied my Bible. I understand the, the Baptist principles. When we baptize people here at Elmira Baptist Church, they become members of ba Elmira Baptist Church. So that's not the only way to become a member. Don't misunderstand. But there's no way in, in, in Adomira Baptist Church, there's no way to be baptized and become a member somewhere else. Now, if you wanted to be a member at another Baptist church in town, you're welcome to go to them and ask them to baptize you. But when we baptize people, we're baptizing them into the membership. And this is important to me for this reason, because I expect more of the members of Elmira Baptist Church than I do of just people who attend. 
Because there's a commitment. There's a level of commitment there. There's a stepping forward and saying, I want to be a part of this. We've seen some people saved recently. I'm not going to mention him by name because I don't want to embarrass him. We've seen some people saved recently. And I am praying, and I hope you're praying, that they say, I want to be baptized. Because that's their way of saying, hey, I want to be a, a part of this. Not just on the outside looking in. Not just saying, boy, there's those people, that's great. I want to be a part of this. So we evangelize, we baptize, we disciple people. We train them to be followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, frankly, we have, we are, are as, I, as I see it, we're really filling all of this space on Sunday morning. I had some folks come to me recently and they said, we, we ought to have a uh, class for people who are in their 20s and their 30s. And I said, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. I found two people who are willing to teach, but where are we going to host that class? <clears throat> we use this room. We use all three of those classrooms. We use the patio room. We use the ministry room. In fact, there's two classes in the ministry room. I guess they could meet outside in the rain. Uh, there's the secretary's office. You might put two people in there. <laughs> Seriously, we, we, I, I, I'm burdened that we have a, um, a new members class for folks that come to our church, either from another church or they're newly saved, and teach them some of the basic things that that we sort of take for granted. Those of us that have been here a while, we know Elmira Baptist Church and we, we have a good idea of what we're about. I'd love to do that. Where? Where will we teach that class? Even on Wednesday nights, we're pretty much using up all the rooms. When we split up into ladies' class and a men's class, there's not a whole lot of rooms left. Somebody, If someone were to come to me and say, hey, I'm burdened, I, I think there, a class on Wednesday nights for this group of people would be great. Sure, but where would we put them? And so the building is going to open up more opportunities to disciple people and encourage them to follow Jesus Christ. This new building is going to open up more opportunities for fellowship. It's going to become increasingly important as our society, as any society, grows more and more wicked and, and rejects God more thoroughly, then it's more important for Christians to gather together and encourage one another. Malachi 3.16 says, Then they that feared the Lord, spake often one to another. And I think it's important that we take those chances to fellowship. So this building is an important part of accomplishing the goals of Elmira Baptist Church, but I want you to understand what the goals are because the building is not the goal. The building is just a way to get to the goal. And by God's grace, we are looking forward to getting into that building in 2024. I don't know when. <laughs> I wish I had a date for you. I'm praying. Please pray with me that we could use it for Easter, for Resurrection Sunday, which happens to be the last Sunday in March. That's my vision. That's what I'm shooting for. But there are quite a few obstacles along the way that we need to overcome to get there. And by God's grace, we're going to overcome all those obstacles. It's just, it's just, a, matter, uh, just a matter of when. But let's go to the passage. And I want to show you how God encourages his people, the Israelites. They're currently outside of the land and God wants them to move into the land, and he wants to give them some encouragement toward that. And in verse 11, it says this, And the Lord said unto me, Arise, take thy journey before the people. The first thing God says to, to Moses is, I want you to move forward. Don't stay here. Now, there was a lot of comfort where they were at. By this point, they had won a couple of victories. They had annihilated <clears throat> several of the kings that were on the east side of the Jordan River. God was continuing to send manna every day. 
And it would have been very comfortable, very uh, understandable for them to say, you know, we like it here. Why should we cross the river and fight all those guys over there when we have it so good right here? And God says, no, I want you to get up. I want you to rise. I want you to take your journey. I want you to keep moving forward. In any church, our church, any church, there's always going to be a tendency to just get to a comfortable point and just sort of stay there. Just get to that, you know, cruising altitude and then just turn, on, turn it on autopilot. And we don't want to be a church that gets to the cruising altitude and then just turns it on autopilot. I have a list of things here that help us think through, are we building or are we just maintaining? Building isn't a building, a structure, a physical structure. Are we moving forward or are we content to just sit where we are? Let me give you some of those uh, uh, contrasts. If we want to move forward, we're going to have to have a vision for the future. If we're maintaining, we're just trying to get through the week. If we're looking to move forward, we need to continue to learn. If we're maintaining, we feel like, yeah, I, I know enough already. I'm tempted to tell, you know, give an illustration. If we're, if we're moving forward, there ought to be visible growth. And growth doesn't always mean more people coming, although by God's grace, that's what it is meant for us. But there ought to be visible growth. If we're maintaining, we're just going to be stagnant and static. By the way, if we're moving forward, guess what we should expect? Active opposition. Active opposition. Satan doesn't fight people who aren't doing anything. He's going to go fight the folks that are out on the front line shooting at him. And so the more we are moving forward, the more opposition we're going to face. But the other side of that is just regular difficulties. Life is always hard. Even when you're not growing, life is hard. You might as well be going somewhere and seeing victory over the opposition than just sitting there and going through the regular difficulties. When we're looking towards the future, we're looking to implement fresh ideas. We're looking to implement fresh ideas. Our church must be flexible. Things are changing. We're changing. Our country is changing. Our, our community is changing. And we need to be flexible to meet those needs. And there's some things we're never going to change. The gospel never changes. That's why we consider ourselves biblicists. But there are some things that may change. We may change the hours we meet. You remember a couple of years ago, we changed our evening worship time from 6 o'clock to 5 o'clock. And I did that for two important reasons, well, three important reasons. First of all, some of our members have trouble driving in the dark. And uh, that gave us a couple more months of the year where it was light outside. We have some of our members who travel all the way into San Francisco for work. They're getting up at 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning on Monday to go to work. And I wanted them to not have the excuse, well, I get home too late. And then lastly, and this is also important to me, I wanted to give us opportunities after the worship time on Sunday night. For those of you that have normal schedule, you don't have to be up at 3.30 in the morning. Take some time to get together with other people. Have them to your house. Go to their house. Uh, in the summertime, uh, 6.30 at Nights, very pleasant. Go to the park. Spend time together. Use that time to fellowship. So we're going to, we're going to continue as a church. We're going to continue to implement new ideas, fresh ideas. We want to be moving forward. If we're merely maintaining, then you know what? We're going to be scared of the work that it requires to implement new ideas. And we're going to be content just to do what we've always done. There's a whole bunch more of those um, but I just want us, to, I want to encourage us as a church, we want to continually be saying, God, how do we move forward? 
Not how do we stay where we're comfortable? How do we move forward? What do you have new for us? How can we do a better job? How can we see more victory? There's a couple of false ideas that are, that are really hindering, uh, killing, literally killing American churches. And, and let me share some of those with you at this point. The first idea is that church is merely an accessory to our lives. Church is merely like an add-on. It's something we do when it's convenient. You know, when I don't have any other plans this weekend, I'll go to church. Uh, I, I'll go to church if I have a, a crisis and I need help, then I'll be in church. It, it hap- happened again recently. Uh, you don't see anybody for a long time. And then it suddenly so, show up at church. Hey, so good to see you. Yeah, I've got a problem. I need your help. Listen, I'm glad to help you. I really am. And don't ever stay away from me because you haven't seen me in a while and you need help. Let me encourage you, though. Be building habits of righteousness all the time. Don't see church as an accessory that you tack on just because it's convenient or you're in trouble. Now, by the way, let's think through this. If you are in a church where a majority of the church, the church's people, the majority of the church really believes that their, their relationship to the church is merely accessory, just something they tack on. What do you think happened to those kinds of churches when there was a long shutdown during COVID? They just disappeared. I mean, it's just an accessory. You don't really need it. So when it was gone for a while, then you realize, oh, huh, I guess that isn't so bad. That's why I say these ideas are killing churches. Because if that's what we believe, then, you know, church is just something we do, I don't know, just because it's nice. Church is mandatory. It's not convenient. Being a member of a church that exalts Jesus Christ and preaches the gospel is something God calls all of his children to do, to be. There's another idea that's hurting American churches, and that is um, the idea that the work of the church is done by professionals, done by people who get paid to do it, or maybe who are trained to do it. Maybe they don't get paid, but they're trained to do it. And so people will think, well, you know, I I can't really do that because I don't have that training. You know, I love, I, I think it's a great a benefit here at Elmira Baptist Church that we don't pay a whole bunch of people to do stuff because you can do the work. My, my goal, Ephesians 4, 12, 11 and 12, 13, tells me that my goal is to train you to do the work of the ministry. It's not professionals. It's you. We all need to rise up and we need to move forward. Not just move forward, but we need to take new land. Back to verse 11. Arise, take thy journey before the people that they may go in and possess the land. They're not merely moving through. They're possessing it. Now, let me use an analogy that's not quite what's here, but I think you can, this will help you understand. It's the difference between renting a house and buying a house. Now, I'm not saying that there's one is better than the other, but I, I've done both. I've rented and I've purchased And I've always paid far more attention to what I'm doing when I'm about to buy a house than when I rented a house. You know why? Because a rental is just a rental. You don't like it? Move on to the next rental, right? I've lived in a house one time. I lived there for a year. Great. It was an apartment. Lived there for a year. Fine. Moved on. It's not my problem. Something breaks in the house, you call the landlord. You know your toilet isn't working. Your toilet, right? Your toilet isn't working. It's not my problem. That's not the attitude God's asking us to have here, to possess the land. It is our church. It is our problem. 
What is it that God is doing here that we can be a part of? And again, if you have that idea that church is just done by professionals, then every problem we got to bring to the pastor. By the way, I want to help. I'm not saying don't bring me your problems. Many times I'm going to push those problems back on you. Here's some Bible advice. Here's some tools to use. Help me solve this problem. Take possession. Make it your own. And then most of all, here in this verse, I want you to see that God calls them to claim his promises. End of verse 11 says, which I swear unto their fathers to give unto them. Which I swear unto their fathers to give unto them. God's reminding Moses that 400 plus years previously, he had said to Abraham, your descendants are going to possess this land. Some years later, God said to Isaac, your descendants are going to possess this land. And then you remember when Israel, also known as Jacob, was going down into Egypt. God reminded Jacob, your descendants are going to possess this land. So God wants them to go in bravely. God wants them to go into the new land boldly because they're merely claiming God's promises to them. Now I want to skip over uh, verses 12 and 13 and look at what kind of God we serve. Because God reminds them who he is to encourage them. And in verse 14, he says, Behold the heaven, I'm in chapter 10, verse 14. Behold the heaven, and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's, thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. Now he's encouraged them to get up, to take new land, to claim his promises. And he says, here's the first reason that I want you to be brave and bold to do that. And his reason is, this is what God says, I own everything. Everything, the heaven, the heaven of heavens belongs to me. The earth, everything in the earth, all of it belongs to me. We're not having trouble finishing the building because God is low on resources. It's not like God's going through his couch for change, trying to help us. I, I don't know all of what God's doing, but I, I know that it's not because he lacks resources. We serve a God who owns everything. Never forget that. Never let a need for resources or money determine whether you're going to do God's will or not. If God's calling you to do it, boldly step forward and claim his promises. His resources will never, never disappoint you. But there's a second reason that he encourages him, a uh, second thought he encourages him with. Look at verse 15 with me. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. God reminds the Israelites that he chose them. God reminds us in Ephesians chapter four, uh, 1, verse 4, that he chose us. Paul says, according as he hath chosen us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world. You didn't choose God. According to the Bible, God chose you. I find great comfort in that. Now, I'm not saying God chose me because I'm a good choice. Uh, God chose me because he's a merciful God. But God picked me. God picked you. God picked us to be here at Elmira Baptist Church at this time. To live in California at this time. God picked us. And God is great. Look back at our text, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty, and a terrible. Now, those words there, 
The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. I hadn't thought much about that until I went to Mongolia. We were looking at this. I was looking at this verse, this passage with some Mongolians. And one of the Mongolians said, what does that verse mean? God of gods, Lord of lords. I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it. Um, I, I didn't think a whole lot about it. And he came to me sometime later, maybe a week. I don't remember exact uh, details, but he came to me later. He said, you know what? I think I figured it out. He says, you know, Mongolians, we worship many gods. And they do. They have a lot of these small g, false gods that they worship. He said, God isn't even in that category. He's a god of gods. He's not in the category of lords, all the people that try to control our lives. Human, He's above that even. You know, we're worshiping false gods in our culture too. It's not just Mongolia. I think of the god of technology. You may not be familiar, but let me read this. Uh, you may not be familiar with what Elon Musk said this week, but this is what he said. I, I, quote, I quote him. Quote, I don't know except to say that by the time these lawsuits are decided, we'll have a digital God. So you can ask the digital God at that point. Yeah, I don't know what he even means by that. But I know that there are people in our society who think that technology and artificial intelligence is going to become God. That is not our God. And let me remind you that no matter how powerful artificial intelligence may become, no matter how powerful technology may become, our God is a God of gods. He's greater than anything. The atomic power that we were so wowed by two generations ago, God is greater than that. We serve a God of gods. He's above that. There's the God of sensuality in our society. I, I know a lot of uh, the talk in my circle of friends outside of Elmira Baptist Church, I have a circle here, but circle of friends outside of Elmira Baptist Church, why is it that so many pro-life bills are being defeated in state legislatures after the end of Roe v. Wade? And I'll tell you why. Because we worship our bodies more than we worship God. That's why. It's more important to us to be able to make our own choice, which it's not a choice, I understand that, but that's the argument, than it is to do what's right. Let me ask you this question during COVID. Here the government is working so hard to shut down the economy and to postpone even necessary surgeries. But did they close abortion clinics in California? No, because we have a God. It's the God of sensuality. It's the God, to use a Bible verse, it's a Bible term, it's the God of lasciviousness. We worship that God. You never, have you ever noticed that when there's an out, outbreak of STIs, we don't encourage people to be faithful to their spouse and avoid fornication? We say we need to provide more medical care. Well, we know how to stop these things. It, it, it isn't rocket science. But we are more dedicated, as Americans, so often we are more dedicated to this God of sensuality than to the true God. But let me remind you, the God we serve is a God of gods. Nobody mocks him. He's the Lord of Lords. Nobody shuts him down. There's a greater God. We serve a God who is greater than the God of government. Now, I hope none of you have made government your God, but many Americans have. How do you know that? They expect government to provide everything for them. 
these folks that are shouting, we have a right to housing. Now, I, I want people to be housed, by the way. But I don't expect government to provide my housing. I expect God to provide my housing. We have a right to free education. I'm, I'm all for education, although not the foolishness that we're calling education today, but I'm all for education. But they're expecting government to provide those benefits, not God. We have a God who's greater than the God of government. He's a God of gods and a Lord of lords. I'm reminded of the church in San Leandro, Heritage Baptist Church. They were also trying to build a building, but they were trying to do it in the East Bay. And if you can imagine government regulation here, it's nothing like government regulation in Oakland and San Leandro. And the government just plainly told them, you're in your piece of land that God has provided for you. Well, the government didn't say that God has provided for you, but God had provided it for you. Your piece of land that you have, it's not zoned for a church. You can't build a church building there. And the pastor was very gracious because this was at a, at a planning committee meeting for the county or the city, whatever it was, probably city. And he just said, you know what? We're going to be back. And you're going to agree that we're going to build a church building here. And maybe he said it was, I was hearing Pastor Fong tell this. He said maybe it was two or three weeks later, he got a call from the planning commission. They said, you know what? You're right. You can build a building 10 by 17, <laughs> which is basically a large shed. 10 feet by 17. Pastor Fong said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. We're going to build a church building here. You know, I visited their church building about, what, a year ago. I was there in their church building that they built on that piece of property that San Leandro said was not dedicated for church use. Because we serve a God who's greater than the God of government. We serve the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Never forget that because, you know, we can be intimidated. We can be intimidated by the God of technology. We can be intimidated by the God of sensuality. We can be intimidated by the God of government. If we don't remember that our God is a God of gods. He's above that. He's a Lord of Lords. He's above that. He's powerful and he's proven his power on our behalf through his work in the past. He uses the term in, in um, verse 17 here, a great God, a mighty God, a terrible. Now, we use the word terrible to mean really bad, but he doesn't mean terrible like a really bad God. He's a terrifying God. Imagine if you were one of the soldiers, the Egyptian soldiers in the chariot corps, and you were driving your chariot right along that same path that just moments before, hours before, you had seen the Israelites run across dry ground and get to the other side of the Red Sea. And now you're driving your chariot furiously along that path to get to the other side and attack those people. And then you realize the walls of water are caving in on you. Would that be terrifying? God, our God is a terrifying God. I would much rather be on God's side than God's enemy. You would much rather, much rather be on God's side than God's enemy. You say, yeah, but it doesn't look really good for those of us that are on God's side right now. I know it often looks bad for those who are on God's side. It looked bad for the Israelites when they're hemmed in by the Red Sea. And there's mountains on either side of them. And behind them, there's the Egyptian army. But we can't be scared of our enemies. We serve a God who is literally terrifying. And when they go into the promised land, time after time after time, God stops the sun and the moon so they can win a victory. God sends giant hailstones down that kill more of their enemies than they kill. 
God causes the, causes the walls of Jericho to collapse on the inside and kill the inhabitants of the city. It would be terrifying to be God's enemy. That gives me a great love for our enemies because they've got to face God. They don't have to face me. I'm not, I'm not called to get vengeance or to make sure that, that justice is done. God is a God of justice. And I would much rather be on God's side and be persecuted in this life than be God's enemy and appear to win on this side of eternity and then go into eternity and have to face a just and a righteous God. We serve a God who is literally terrifying. We serve a God who is mighty. He can provide he can do amazing things to provide. For 40 years, the Bible says, their shoes, the Israelite shoes, did not get any holes in them. How many of you have had a pair of shoes for 40 years? Kurt, don't raise your hand. I think Kurt's the only one I know who had a pair of shoes for decades. Even the shoes that I only wear once a week, after four or five years, they, they get old and they got problems and I, they, the stitches start to come out and the water starts to leak in and I, I got to get a new pair of shoes. They went for 40 years and their shoes didn't grow, old, didn't grow holes. Their clothes didn't wax old, it says. You ever wonder where they did all their shopping while they're wandering in the wilderness? They didn't do any shopping because God made sure their clothes never wore out. Now, some of your mothers are thinking, boy, 40 years and I wouldn't have to change my kids' clothes? Yeah, that's the type of God I serve. <laughs> I remember growing up, my pants rarely lasted more than five or six months before they had holes in the knees. We're outside running around, falling down, scraping things up. And my mom would say, I just bought you that pair of pants. And we'd say, yeah, I know, but they already got holes in them. <laughs> Our God is a mighty God. And in, uh, look at chapter 11, verses 2 through 7 with me. Know ye this day, again, chapter 11, Deuteronomy, verses 2 through 7. Know ye this day, for I speak not with your children which have not known and which have not seen the chastisement of the Lord your God, his greatness, there's that word again, his mighty hand, there's mighty hand again, his stretched out arm and his miracles and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt unto Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and unto all his land. And what he did unto the army of Egypt, unto their horses, unto their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord hath destroyed them unto this day. And what he did unto you in the wilderness until he came, until ye came unto this place. And what he did unto Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the sons of Reuben, how the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up and their households and their tents and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of Israel. But your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord, which he did. He said, you've seen this stuff. You know you serve a mighty God, an amazing God, a terrifying God. Now, we haven't seen what is listed here. We have God's word for it. But I know you've seen in your own life the amazing work of God. We've talked recently about how God's healed some of our church members in miraculous ways. The doctors just scratched their heads. We've seen God provide for a building debt-free. You tell people, we're building a building. Well, how much did you have to borrow? We didn't borrow anything. Well, then you must have a really wealthy guy in your church. Yeah, we have a guy who works for Bank of America. Amen. Amen. Uh, except he doesn't. I wish he made more, actually. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Listen, it's because God provided. And he keeps bringing it in in unusual and unexpected ways. We've had money sent from out of state. You've had people who weren't even members of our church say, hey, 
I hear you're building a building. Let me give you literally thousands of dollars. We've had a grant. Uh, a, a nonprofit foundation say, hey, we're going to help people build churches. Do you want help? Yes, we want help. And yeah, there was a process, but they said, here's $350,000. You don't have to pay it back. You don't have to pay it forward. God has been so good to us. Let's not forget that. So here's what God requires of us. And, and I'm, I'm going to not expand on this, but I want you to take verses 12 and 13. And I want you to meditate on them this week. Verses 12 and 13, back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now Israel, with all that in mind, get up, go forward, take possession of the land, claim my promises, because here's the type of God I am. He says, verse 12, and now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, to fear the Lord thy God. We serve a terrifying God. His judgment is always just. His judgment is always final. And this is what the Bible says about Christians. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, whether they be, according to that he hath done, whether they be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 10 and 11. We too will give an account to God. Now, we're not terrified because we will never face the second death. Because we're children of God and because of God's mercy and because of God's grace, he's rescued us from the penalty of sin. We still, have to get, we still must give an account of how we live this life. What are you investing in? I had a chance to talk with some teenagers recently and I encouraged them. What are you investing in? What are you spending your time doing? You say, well, I'm getting really, really good at Counter-Strike. You don't know what Counter-Strike is. It's a computer game. Do people even play that game anymore? I don't know. This is so old. I, I don't know. You know, you can be really good at computer games, and it won't matter at eternity. But you know what? You can also make a lot of money. And if you're not using it for God's glory, that doesn't matter in eternity either. People on this side of eternity may think you're a great guy, and you've got all this wealth, but it won't matter on the other side of eternity. We had one of our subcontractors come out this week and, and Kenny, our, our general contractor, was there and, and our subcontractor was saying, oh yeah, I've done work for this guy. And Kenny said, yeah, I know that guy. He's got a bunch of cars and they would all, old cars, fancy cars, beefed up cars, and he and his friends would get in these cars and they would just travel around the countryside driving these cars. You know, that may have been really impressive. But when that man gets to eternity, none of that's going to matter. There's some guy up on a hill. He's got a, a pool, an infinity pool that overlooks the city of Vacaville. Now, why you'd want an infinity pool overlooking the city of Vacaville, I don't know. But that's what he has, I've been told. You know, none of that matters when you get to heaven. None of that matters. What are we investing our lives in? We ought to fear God. We must give an account for how we live in this life. And the Bible says that all things are naked and open unto him with whom we have to do. You can't hide. You can't pull the wool over his eyes. I remember as a kid, trying, as a kid trying to modify, to color my story so that my mom and dad would be happy. And sometimes they were like, oh, okay, if you did it for that reason, okay, it's okay then. And I knew I had lied to them. God's never fooled. You can't fool God. Fear him. That's the first thing God requires, to fear him. Number two, to walk in his ways. To walk in all his ways. 
To walk in his ways means to order our lives according to biblical truth. What does the Bible say? That's right. What does the Bible say not to do? Okay, I won't do that. Ordering our lives according to biblical truth. And notice why he says to do that. He says in verse 13, to keep the commandments of the Lord and the statutes which I command thee this day for thy good. For thy good. When I was a teenager, I was memorizing and meditating on this passage. And those words jumped out to me. For thy good. And I started watching people. I started observing people. People I worked with. People I went to church with. I I just wanted to see what really matters in life. And you know what I've noticed? People who order their lives according to God's word, they have joy. And they have peace. And they can love each other and they can love people who've even hurt them and they can be forgiving. They, they, they have wisdom. They, they perceive things correctly and they can explain, okay, this is good for this reason, this is bad for that reason. People who do not order their lives according to biblical truth, they may make a lot of money. They may gain a lot of political power. They may seem very consequential, but trust me, you wouldn't want their lives. You wouldn't want their lives. They're so messed up. Walk in God's ways. Young people, walk in God's ways. You will not regret it. You know what you'll regret? You'll regret sowing your wild oats when you're in your 20s and your 30s. And then waking up one day and saying, you know, that was a wasted two decades. Just in the last couple of weeks, I had a a 40-year-old say that to me. I spent my 20s and my 30s just drinking and partying and Now it's gone. And I can't go back and relive those years. They're gone. Invest in things that really really matter. Walk in God's ways. Look uh, with me again at verse 12, though. Love him. Love God. And serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Love God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, listen, I can't tell any of you why you serve God. I don't know. I can't see your heart. But God sees your heart. And I want to encourage you, whether you're a member here at Elmira Baptist Church or you're not a member, find a church where you can serve God with all your heart because you love Him. Not because the pastor puts pressure on you. Not because you're trying to look good to the pastor or look good to the other church members. And not because you're trying to impress somebody, but because you love God. That's that's what authentic Christianity starts with me, loving God, because He first loved me. Loving God because he gave his son for me. Loving God because he does so much for me and out of that love, serving God. It's not trying to impress you. It's not trying to make a name for myself as a pastor. It's not trying to get enough attention so that some other church who has more people recognizes me and asks me to come pastor their church. That's, That's not it at all. It's loving God and serving him. And I call you to the same love God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. We're getting ready, by God's grace, we're getting ready to move into to a new building. And I mentioned before, not in this sermon, but in previous sermons, that new building means more work. It means we're going to need more ushers. We're going to need more teachers. We're going to need more nursery workers. We're going to need more cleaning help. We're going to need more uh, fix-it help. We're going to need a lot more. 
And some of you have already given everything to God and you're serving him. I don't want to pressure you to give God more. You know you love God, you're serving him. But some of you aren't giving God everything. You don't love God with all your heart and with all your soul. You're not serving him with all your heart and with all your soul. You know who you are. I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to figure it out. God knows who you are. And I'm asking you to step up. I'm asking you, when you look at the budget next Sunday night, especially those of you who are members, although all of you are welcome to stay and just observe what goes on, but members will be voting on it. You look at that budget. I know what happened to my eyes. My eyes got really big. And I thought, what in the world? But I'm, I'm encouraging us to take a step forward. Number one is a church. Take a step forward as a church and say, we can do more to reach our community. We can do more but also to take a step forward as individuals. I'm asking you here in, in uh, 2024, take a step forward in your Christian life and move forward. Amen. Don't just be merely content to serve here and feel like your service is all that God wants. God wants your heart. Love Him and serve Him, He says. Spend more time in His Word. I'd encourage you, look back at 2023 and ask yourself, how much of the Bible did I read? How much time did I spend in prayer? How much time did I spend meditating? And determine before God that you're going to increase that in 2024. Uh, it's not a comparative thing. I could tell you how much I read and you could tell me how much you read and I, we could compare and say, oh, you're reading more. He's reading more. She's reading more. She spends more time. I'm not asking you to compare among yourselves. That's, the Bible tells us that's not wise. I'm asking you to take a step forward in 2024 and do more than you did in your time with God in 2023. Read another chapter a day. Spend another five or ten minutes in prayer each day. Uh, meditate on a second verse every week. Whatever it is, take a step forward. Some of you are already really, really faithful to hand out tracts to people, and I thank you for that. Keep doing that. But where could you hand out more tracts? Where could I hand out more tracts? Am I one of those folks that doesn't really hand out tracts, and I need to step forward in that? Elmira Baptist Church is not merely an accessory to your life. The work of Elmira Baptist Church is never going to be done by professionals. You're going to have to do it. And if you don't, no one else is. So I'm asking us all to take, uh, take a step forward. I was encouraged this last week as I was listening. I heard a pastor say that he was, this is a larger church than ours, and he was looking to take on a young 25-year-old man as part of his church's staff. He didn't say what position, but that wasn't important. He said, I was, he's looking to take on a 25-year-old man as part of his church's staff. And I'm thinking, okay, the guy's 25 years old, so it's probably some starting position. Maybe he's a janitor. I don't know. But he was looking to take this guy on. And the pastor said to the young man, he said, why do you want this job? And the young man said something like, I'm not quoting him, he said something like, I want to put the weight of responsibility on my shoulders so that I can train myself to carry more responsibility. Now, I think a lot of Americans, we're running away from responsibility. Not my problem. I'm, I'm just a tenant. I'm just renting this property. There's a problem. I'm going to call my landlord. By the way, if you're renting property, call your landlord when there's a problem. Okay, I'm not. Yeah, you do. Please keep doing that, David. But this church, we're not renting this church. This is ours. We possess this. This ministry, I don't mean this building. I mean this ministry. It's ours. We possess it. If we don't do it, no one else is. And all of us, if we could just take a little more response, and I'm talking to myself as well, take a little more responsibility. Now, some of you are maxed out. 
Don't worry about that. But some of you are not maxed out. You need to take a step forward in 2024. Some of you, probably, some of you, the Lord's working on your heart. You know you need to step up and say, I want to become a member here. Or I need to be baptized. That's, that's what we, we need to take a step forward. We need to move forward in 2024. And I want to encourage you to do that. Father, thank you for this uh, passage. It challenged me again to fear you, to walk in your ways, to love you, and to serve you with all my heart and soul. And why? Because the things you command me are for my good. Thank you, Father. You've blessed my life in so many ways. I have no regrets about serving you. And I know there's others this evening that could come and give testimony. They have no regrets about serving you. Challenge me, challenge us to take on a little more responsibility in 2024. To do a few more things for you, trusting your provision to provide. Lay upon our young people a sense of responsibility for Elmira Baptist Church. And many of them are already doing so much teaching music, technology, it's just serving wherever I ask them to jump in. And I thank you for young people like that. Bless them. May they see that their labor is not in vain in the Lord. And call more laborers to the harvest here at Elmira Baptist Church. Lord, we need more people if we're going to utilize that new building in a way that exalts you and that glorifies you. Each one of us needs to take a little bit, uh, uh, needs to take a step of faith if we're going to utilize that building in a way that brings glory and honor to you. So I ask, Father, for your help in 2024 to take that step forward, both individually and as a church, and to take new ground and to claim your promises. You're worth it, Lord. You're worthy. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.